We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And normally after a game like this, we'd zoom in on the minutia of what happened. And we'll probably still do that a little bit. But in today's pod, I'd like to zoom out and look at where the Lakers stand on a few big picture points. First, identifying some of the kind of core issues the Lakers are facing, and then later exploring some of the different possible resolution to those issues. Uh, last night, Lakers fell to 0 and 4 with a 110 to 99 loss in Denver. Uh, at Denver is not one of those places where you want to feel like you have to win a game. I've seen some very, very good Lakers teams over the years get their butts kicked in Denver. It's one of the harder places to win on the road. So if you find yourself in a p- position where like, Hey, we really need this game. Definitely not the position you want to find yourself in. It was also a game, guys, that Russell Westbrook did not play in with a hamstring injury. And he's been so much at the center of our focus of the discussions around the team, and not just our focus, but just in general, that getting a look at the team without him, but without any replacements for him, I think is interesting. And I want to start with LeBron and AD, because I think that what's left over, simply put, D, we just don't have a lot of guys. Like one of the things that I was really against at the beginning of the summer was the idea of having to send Russ home. I think that that's something that would have, that represented a failure on our part, right? Because, and it's simply from a practical standpoint of if you don't have the player that's making $47 million doing anything for you, what you're left with next to LeBron and AD are a group of guys that are vet minimums and MLE caliber guys. And in that whole idea of slotting that you talk about, you're asking a lot of guys to do more than what their contracts warrant, right? And what their play has warranted up until this point. And so with LeBron in particular, he played a lot of point guard last night. And I think that that's a bigger picture issue in that Asking LeBron to be an 82-game point guard and a guy who can get downhill over and over again, I think, is becoming an increasingly unrealistic ask of him. And I think that's a big part of what the team was supposed to be. So before I continue, I just I just want to start there, D. Like, talk to me about kind of 
where we are right now from that standpoint of we got to look at the team without Russ and with what we do have but beside him. And I would argue that it puts undue pressure on both LeBron and AD as a result. So first of all, welcome back, Pete. Yeah, thank you for holding it down. Yeah, sure. I mean, it was mostly Mike. I just showed up. Rashid Wallace style, CTC. Hey. So Mike and I spoke a little bit about lineup stuff with the prospect of Russ not playing. And I was wondering who was going to take over more of the ball handling responsibilities. And I think I focused more on the prospects of when LeBron wasn't in the game. We probably should have dedicated a little bit more time to what LeBron at point guard was going to look like because we've we've talked about it a ton on the pod, but the Lakers have basically turned LeBron into a big man. Mm-hmm. It's been an evolution over the last two seasons. And we brought this up the other day on the pod where he actually hasn't played per cleaning the glass, at least for their position classifications. He actually hadn't played any small forward at all this season, mm-hmm. right? Which is more of the ball handling type of guy. Now, he's definitely handled the ball and he's brought the ball up some over the course of the first three games before the Denver game, um, mostly in late game situations, though, where he was controlling possessions more. Um, Mike, last night, LeBron spoke about how one of the things that he was going to do if he was going to be handling the ball more is he was just going to look for his own offense more and he was going to be more aggressive. And you had actually commented in our group chat that LeBron actually, maybe it was the entire first quarter, but it was a long stretch before he even attempted a field goal. And he was just looking to be a setup man a lot. And one of the things about being a setup man is it's much easier to be a setup man at LeBron's stage of his career as a primary ball handler type. If you have shooting around you where the actions that you're running for players are for guys coming off of pin downs and just like actions that are going to set up something where the passes and the reads don't rely a lot on his own shot creation initially. Yeah, that whole idea of like he's got to press forward and, and really attack the basket. It's like, no, this guy's coming off a screen and LeBron's standing in his spot and his job is to hit him in his shooting pocket as he comes off of the screen. But the ask on him physically is much lower. Yeah. And so the first couple of sets of the Lakers uh, offense, they did exactly that. Right. And so they ran like a wide pin down, which flowed into a secondary screen action. There was some back pick stuff like with Austin Reeves and it was all set up stuff. And LeBron was just sort of out there looking like a QB in seven on seven drills, right, where there's no pass rush. And he's just sort of out there looking at the guys moving around like, oh, there's my open guy. And he got a couple of assists very early on. As the game evolved, though, more and more of his ball handling stuff and shot creation responsibilities started to come out of pick and rolls. And how many turnovers did the did the Lakers have last night, Mike? 14? 14, yeah. LeBron had eight. Yeah, and LeBron had eight of them. There was at one point they had 13 and he had eight of them. He was throwing a lot of like um, pocket bounce passes coming off of screen and roll actions or really thread the needle type of passes against defense that were really loaded up into the paint. And he was trying to beat those with precision passes. And to me, and this isn't excusing LeBron, but he looked like a guy who actually had to do this at a high volume in, in a very long time. That's how he looked to me like, oh, 
this is very retro of me right now, having to make these sorts of passes. And his precision was not there. And I thought some of his decision making in terms of I'm going to force this pass, like that wasn't to the level that he would typically be at either. And so the results of that, Mike, was like, oh, the Lakers are giving the ball away. And it's not like they had a ton of turnovers, but on the Spectrum feed, it might have been um, Stu that brought it up. He said the Lakers don't actually have a lot of turnovers, but the timeliness of these turnovers, it's what's problematic, right? And they there were key possessions where they really needed to score, first of all, but just needed to get a shot up on the basket, and they led to turnovers instead. So that's where I would sort of start with LeBron. It's that idea of if he's going to handle the ball more, finding that balance between shooting and passing and what types of passes he has to make in order to create offense. It's a different ask with this group where the shooting is at the level that it's at so far. To focus first on LeBron, I think there are some things that are immediately and easily correctable and adjustments that he'll make. And, and a lot of those are what you talked about with the rust and the playmaking and the precision passing and just point guarding and running screen roll and stuff like that, where he just will look at the tape and he'll, and he'll be better on against the Timberwolves. So that's one thing, but where I thought the Lakers and LeBron had a lot to do with this. Once they turned the ball over, they didn't get back uh, in transition. And this is where Denver blew the game open in the third quarter. So at halftime, I was coming back and sometimes I'll, I'll go and talk to Phil handy uh, before I do my TV hit. And I was, I'd said something about the fast break points in the first half. And he was like, yeah, that's, that's going to be like that and rebounding are key number one and number two. And then in the third quarter, after the turnovers, it was standing um, after, and, and this is, this, I think you also have to bring in the lack of shot making because it, I think after three games and then the first half of it, it finally got to the point where guys started to hang their heads mm -hmm. when the open shots weren't falling. And that's inevitable. I, I think it was it was actually pretty a credit to them that it took this long for them to have a, a game where they just kind of the collective mood of it just got to them and weighed on them. And, and that is something I think that came in transition D. But as Pete referred to earlier, this is also part of what just happens in Denver um, based on the way that the Nuggets play and the way that they jump on teams. And so I I don't I do think that you can kind of pull to look at the first four games. You can you can presume that they're going to be able to get back to that level of defending, I think, up to a certain point, though, because the, the shots do need to start falling. And they fell a little bit more. This was Pat Beverly's point. It's like, well, we were 26%. We came in 20, so we got better. It's like, well, okay. Uh, that That is one. That's a positive way. That's a way of looking at it. You're glass gonna three sell. quarters full, Mike. That's you know, a glass three man. quarters full. In your locker room, I think some of those problems remain. But there, that is, like, that's ultimately what happened in the Denver game, which I think wouldn't have been a big deal had the Lakers won the two games that they probably should have won. And then they, you know, instead of being 0-4 and having all the negative feelings, they're 2-2. Two and two. And, you know, if the uh, – you don't want to get into the hypotheticals of of uh, if this had gone one way, then it would go the other because that's not how the NBA works. But that's, I think, what they were grappling with in the locker room after the game and, and the frustration elements. So it's uh, – Pete, you said that you wanted to zoom out a little bit. Yeah. Is, is that – I tried to lead you a little bit in that direction, but what are what do you – how are you seeing this fitting together collectively? So I don't like what we're asking LeBron and AD to do. 
um, for different reasons. So we just touched LeBron kind of having to play more point guard. And I think a lot of the roster decisions over the last couple of years have been geared toward taking that a bit off of his plate. So the fact that we are here four games into the season, right? And we'll see how long that lasts. We do have like Dennis is somebody who would be helpful. Like we have three point guards on the team between uh, Russ, Dennis, and LeBron. It's not really what Nunn does. It's not really what Walker does. They are guards, right? But like they're not the organ organizing type of force. And so in the absence of Russ and Dennis, it's like, well, LeBron kind of has to be our point guard. And the fact that we end up there, I would argue like that's the opposite of what we would like to surround LeBron with. Because if the whole point of the team is that we have LeBron and AD, then ideally the guys around them supplement them to a point where they can really accentuate what LeBron and AD do. But what I'm seeing, whether it's this year and also last year, is that we need those two guys to fill in so many holes in other places that with AD, for example, let's transition over to him. We're asking him to play the five position. And it's like, it's so hard watching AD struggle physically the way that he has. Like in last night's game, like he's... (laughs) He gets labeled as soft and all oh, you're injury prone and all of that. And you can tell that like in his uh, preseason comments and in his media day, I believe, comments said, I want to play all 82. And so he's out there. His back is killing him. Right. And think about the matchup that he has last night at the five spot. That's against Jokic. He does not have a strength or size advantage against Jokic. He has a speed advantage and athleticism against Jokic. That's what he could leverage. Well, try leveraging that when you have a bad lower back and that a lot harder. Right. And, and I think we were, we were talking at halftime. Like there are some times where you're like, man, I I really wish AD was doing more. And then you look at halftime, he's got 16, five and four and he's good on, and he's anchoring the defense too. And it's like, we're asking him with all of these smaller players around him to be the main provider of height and size and physicality and all of these things that are essential to being a good basketball team, which he can do. But what he actually is, D, is a big wing that had a growth spurt, right, that is kind of a combination, right? And so part of that, like the physical aspects of it, if AD is not right physically, that's one of the main things on this team where it's checkmate. There is no like way to you know, figure out your way around it. Yeah. He's not replaceable. Right. And the things that he's capable of doing, there's one of those guys on the entire roster that can do them and it's him. Right. Exactly. And, and, and so this is one of the frustrations that I've had. And this is where it's funny, right? Because the Lakers are 0 and 4. And I was listening to, um, a podcast recently and Charles Barkley was was the guest and Charles Barkley was talking about how when you're the best player, you get all the credit. Right. Like, like, oh, I'm the best player. So when things go right, like you get all the you get all the praise. And then when things go wrong, you get all the blame as well. And so it's our first instincts, I think, to look at like, oh, well, LeBron had eight turnovers. Well, Jokic was just running laps around Anthony Davis and obviously AD was was banged up. Right. And so the physical stuff matters within that context. Right. But there were plays where Jokic was like one of the ways that Jokic really asserted himself is and this is where he leveraged his intellect was he he knew AD was laboring. And so Jokic was just like, guess what? 
I'm going to get almost all my points, not off of trying to like bang against AD in these stationary phone booth battles where he probably can lean up against me or challenge my shot and make things harder. No, I'm going to run the floor as hard as I possibly can, right? I'm going to cut off of the ball and I'm going to circle cut and move and I'm, I'm going to be in the corner, but now I'm not. Now I'm at the top of the key and now I'm diving. And it's just like, and AD is, his head is on a swivel, Mike. And he's like, oh, I, I got to cover up for all of these other things. And I have to track Jokic. And so how many assisted baskets did Jokic get last night where normally he is the one who is assisting others and AD can't do everything. Well, AD basically matched the full minutes of Jokic and they both played the first, the whole, the f- whole first quarter and then came back together at the same time in the second quarter and then played almost the whole third quarter until AD finally got a rest. And Jokic was a totally different Jokic last night than he has been for much of the first four games. He came in averaging 11 shots per game and he was trying to get Michael Porter Jr. Some looks as they reintegrate him. He's trying to get Jamal Murray going. He's trying to figure out what KCP and Bruce Brown are doing. Well, in this game, I thought it was a big advantage for Denver that Porter Jr. didn't play. Uh, And I think I I texted you guys that beforehand because it returned to just, all right, Jokic, you do almost everything. And he was relentless um, with Anthony Davis, especially once he noticed that the back was sore. And like Darius just said, he just kept going. He kept going. And that to me, that can beat almost any team in a regular season game when Jokic is, is that aggressive because he's so difficult to contain and you need multiple bodies on him. You need AD and, and when they beat him in the finals and they held him like 22 points per game, he had Dwight Howard banging on him for most of the time. And then he had LeBron coming over to help and he just didn't have that other help. Uh, the Lakers, they played Jones briefly and Jones struggled again in certain aspects. LeBron was getting frustrated and then Jones didn't play in the second half. And Pete, I also want to address what you you were saying about LeBron earlier. This was the conversation that we had about LeBron and what to expect from him in the season. And he, we can't expect that LeBron is going to be the guy in 82 games that's going to be able to sprint back in transition yes. every single time yes. and also run the offense. And, and I know, so I think we agree on that, mm-hmm. but that's where, as to the why and, and what the personnel is around him, that's where we get to what that, that whole, whether Russell Westbrook is on the court or just what his salary represents um, if he's not playing well and the pieces that they're not able to put around him. um, Like, it's not that they can't win some games, which again, they should have won two games already this year, but we're not going to be able to get that LeBron and AD are not going to be able to do everything in in the sense that they would have had to have done to beat Denver Mm -hmm. last night. And there are going to be a lot more games like that you know, until they're able to get some some additional contributions like a Kendrick Nunn really stepping up or like a Patrick Beverly hitting three threes in a game or uh, like a Juan Toscano Anderson finding a way. And they haven't had a guy step into a specific a role player step up really uh, in a major way. And part of that's the way that the team is orchestrated and the ball is going through LeBron and AD so much. But those, that's one thing that's going to have to emerge uh, if, if the Lakers are going to get into some kind of a rhythm. Yeah, that's very much my point is that the ask on them uh, on the stars, it's not complaints. Oh, LeBron turned the ball over eight times or AD can't run. AD's trying the very best that he can. And I, I'm, last night was they played four games in a row 
right? LeBron and AD. That didn't happen once last season. And that actually hasn't happened since February of 2021, February 1st through the 6th, I believe it was. So it's been about 20 months since LeBron and AD played four straight games together and completed them. The only other time was games one through four in the Phoenix series, and AD did not finish that game. So actually completing four straight games, first time in 20 months. But we're asking too much from them based on the roster that we have. And so let's take a break and come back and talk about that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So there have been reports with respect to potential uh, Russell Westbrook trades that the Lakers are of the mind that we're going to wait until post Thanksgiving or so, but basically give a little bit of the season, uh, you know, 15, 20 games to see who are the teams that are looking to compete, who are the teams that may have been like, hey, let's see what we got. But now we're five and 15 after 20 games and we kind of see that we're not going to do anything of significance. And then perhaps they'd be more willing to uh, to make a move. And one of my thoughts with that has been like, well, what if we're the team that's five and 15 through those 20 games, right? There's some presumption in that, that the current roster is going to be able to hold it down to a degree that allows us to tread water. Well, 0 and 4 is 0 and 4. We can say, oh, we could have done this. We could have done that. But at some point, the, the tyranny of the standings, Darius, is going to really come into play. And so we have to make a choice on who we are, but more importantly, what we want to be and when we want to be that and what we're willing to give up for that. So I believe that our stars in particular, based on LeBron's age, AD's physical condition right now. And again, that's one that like you really can't get around too much, but they need more help. It has to, it can't just be vet men's and MLE level guys. And I think one of Mike's big point, big points with the rust trade and with the, the salary and all of that is that there's been an elimination of the middle class on the Lakers, meaning the guys that make 10 to $15 million who are good and they are better than the vet men guys who I'm actually very happy with overall. I think they're playing well for vet men guys by and large and doing their job. Um, but we don't have many middle class guys on the team anymore. And those are the guys that do pick it up a little bit. Those are the Kyle Kuzmas that have the random 24 points on nine for 16 shooting and hit a couple threes and shoot some free throws. Right. And so that to me is, that is what you can get back from a Russell Westbrook trade. But 
the timing of that is important. If we wait that long, we, basically we need LeBron and AD to be superstars on offense pretty much every night for this team to score enough points to win games against good teams. And the longer we wait, the more muddy the waters get. So I'm curious on, on your thoughts on that, D. LeBron and AD being superstars on offense isn't even enough. Well, I, so I guess the point that I'm making real quick is that like AD has like a 22 point night, right? And he's like really good. He's anchoring the defense. Like sure. we need those guys to be, oh, they combined for 70 tonight type of thing, you know? Yeah, that's not realistic. I know. It's tricky to me because, so there was a possession that stood out to me because AD had been struggling to get up and down the court effectively, and Jokic was just basically running, 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 running. And there were, I don't know, Pete, a dozen, 15, 18 possessions where Jokic beat AD up the court, and AD was passing him off to other players mm-hmm. to pick up. And most of the times, it was a guard. Yeah, it's who, like Pat Bev trying to check. <laughs> yes, trying to find Jokic, Jokic yeah. right? Austin Reeves. There were all of these possessions. But one possession stood out. I can't remember who was trying to front Jokic. It, it might have been Troy Brown, but forgive me. I honestly can't remember. But I do know that it was Austin who was the weak side help. And he was just like, oh, man, like, I'm in the paint. Am I going to go? And am I just going to double already before the ball is even entered just to sandwich this guy so that he doesn't catch a pass? And AD made it up the court and he pushed Austin into the paint and or Austin saw that AD was now there. And Austin did go and double before the ball was even entered to Jokic. And the guy who had the ball on Denver, he decided he was going to throw a skip pass. And AD was now the one on the weak side playing two. And he picked it off. And he picked it off and he got a steal. So AD had sunk all the way to the lane line, basically. And he read this. And in my mind, Pete, the thing that was alarm bells that were ringing in my head was that the Lakers no longer have a look where Anthony Davis can be that player. Yeah. They no longer have a too big look where AD and his ranginess and his, and this is AD with like a, a hurt back. He's not even moving that well, mm-hmm. but he he is still a massive human being who has good short area quickness, even if he's not going to be able to sprint up and down the court. And he got that steal. And great IQ as well, right? Like he can read those one-on-two situations. He's one of the very best one guy defending two players in the entire league. So I was looking at lineup data before we got on to the call. And it's way too early for lineup data stuff. Like, none of these numbers was, mean anything. Think about banning you from lineup data. Yeah, but I, I know it's a, a place where you, yeah, where good, you good luck with an that, oasis Mike. in the desert for you. So I, I guess I just have to let you do it. Well, it's, it's just so early. So I don't extrapolate yeah. anything from these numbers. Like, all I'm looking for is like, oh, what is starting to show glimmers of possibilities? Not like, oh, this works, right? Because seven minutes of something isn't anything. 10 minutes of something isn't anything, 25 or 33 minutes, which is the top minutes lineup for the Lakers so far. That doesn't really tell me anything. I mean, it does when it's as bad as the Lakers 33 minute lineup is, which is the starting lineup that they've had uh, before Russ went in and out. But that's another topic for another day. One of the things, though, that 
is one of the trends that is starting to show to me, though, is that the Lakers actually have a decent small ball lineup that where LeBron has been the center. They have performed well in the minutes that that they've played. And while there's not a lot of five man data that tells you stuff, there is four man data and three man data where LeBron is on the court with multiple wings and and there is no other big on the court with him. And what they do not have, though. And they have other lineups where LeBron is out and AD is the lone big. And that's also sort of a small look, right? Because they're not playing a second big, but there's only wings that are on the court. What they do not have is they do not have a good big look where AD is in the game, LeBron is in the game, but there's another big that's in the game. And it's that variance in lineup type where the Lakers have built a small ball team because Damian Jones has not played well and Thomas Bryant has been injured. So this is a small ball team right now. And that can't this shoot. is, yeah, that cannot <laughs> shoot. And to Mike's point and to the point that you just made and that lack of a middle class, there is trickle down economics is a lie. The idea that these massive salaried players are suddenly going to uplift the very bottom rungs of the roster and and basically say like oh no you were a 33% shooter in this other place but now with this team you're going to shoot 40% because we have LeBron and Anthony Davis That's, there is no transference of powers there you know what i mean and so i don't want to necessarily bring it back to russ as russ the player and russ this and russ that but the ability to supplement this roster with more players who can actually do more things on the basketball court and be effective, like that's super important, not, not just to support LeBron James and Anthony Davis, yes, but just to be able to be like, hey, we could actually match up with the dude across from me and win some of those battles. And that will support LeBron and AD, but it's also just like uplifting of the team because the rising tide, it actually needs more than just one dude to lift all of those boats. Like, that's not what this is at this point, Mike. So with all of that said, in this case, Westbrook didn't play in the game and the shooting got a little bit better, but not much. And just pointing out a couple of guys like so Lonnie Walker has to shoot the ball better. He's a better he was one for six. He's he's been I, I don't want to say what his percentage on the year is <laughs> that, it you know, Patrick Beverly Right. And Austin actually hit two of three threes. But then Troy Brown, who, of course, needs time to get a rhythm. But um, who and Kendrick Nunn, Kendrick Nunn is, is the guy that's really struggled other than a couple minutes stretch to end the half. Um, he has just been out of sorts. And those are the types of guys that don't necessarily they're not going to be the middle class players that we discussed. They're just not. That's why the Lakers were able to get them. But they have to be better than what they've been. And, the, and part of that is just simple shot making. And then that each time one, a couple more of those shots go in, then LeBron feels like he has to force a couple fewer pocket passes into Anthony Davis because they can actually get back to running the offense a little bit better. And then maybe if, uh, if a roll pass is caught by Jones and he's looking for it, then like just that, and he dunks it and, or, or if he's under the rim and instead of letting a guard kind of hit his hand and the ball goes out, just stuff like that, that even the vet men guys have to do, they just have to be better. And that has the ask be less for LeBron and AD as well. So it's, I think that 
there was a little bit of dismissing the first three shooting games as this aberration. And well, it can't possibly be this bad, even if it's not a good shooting team, uh, good shooting team. But Russ, I think some of that happens because of the way the defenses are playing uh, and because of the way they're playing specifically because Russ is out there with those groups. And, and when that's not the case and those shots were open and a little bit more in rhythm, then that's the point where those players just need to do better. Uh, and, and if they're going to win games that like, that's, that just has to happen, even if it's an obvious point um, that can't continue to go like that for all the role players. But like you said, you're you're asking guys to play up, right? Like they play beyond. No, not like, play up. Not 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 play up. But I'm saying two for six instead of one for six. Sure, like play and play up to their six. standard, right? Just, like just play normal. Yeah, their normal vet minimum standard. That's what I'm saying. They have not been playing at a vet minimum standard for the most part this season. That that is a fair point, and. You know, like a guy like Kendrick Nunn, again, this is wild to me, but he's never averaged less than Malik Monk has averaged in the high scoring season of his career. Right. Like this guy can score. He's that's something that he's that's the reason why he's in the league. And so fair point. Guy like Pat Bev is shooting under 20 percent from three when that's what like before the season it's like, I'm not a 38 percent three point shooter. I'm a 39 percent three point shooter. In reality, it was like Walker, who's been really good at the rim and finishing at the rim and his athleticism has been great, cannot hit a shot yeah. to, to save his life from the perimeter also. And I think all of this stuff is built upon itself. And we've seen this happen guys with uh-huh. previous Laker teams. And I'm so I don't think it's going to just all just flip completely, but it, it has to change some, it just has to. So the team is pressing on some level, right? A lot of these guys, D you pointed out when none finally hit that corner three that he screamed to the gods, right? Because he, he was so frustrated with his last lack of success. And I think that there's a lot of that, right? That, that, all that noise about the Lakers can't shoot worst shooting four game stretch in NBA history from three point range. First four games of the season of any team, uh, lowest percentage over four games, minimum of like 25 attempts a game. Um, and so there's a certain psychological factor to that. And I think that anxiety is one of the less discussed aspects of basketball that really impacts the game. And so I think that there is a certain amount of whether it's Lonnie or Kendrick or the other guys that when they get that open shot it's like uh here it is gotta make it and whenever there's that pressure uh on that that it can be harder to shoot that said I, my point mike and my question i suppose is more of a in a global sense in that like we need better players to supplement lebron and ad and whether it's russ the player or russ is a trade asset is the one guy who represents what can bring that back and so in the context of, and obviously we can't get too into specifics about trades and things like that, but if we wait too long on this, with this team, maybe we win some few games because LeBron and AD are balling out on offense, but that's really where our problems are most are on the offensive end. Like, how long can we wait? And like, what is it worth to get that middle, some of that middle class back? Well, it thinks this is why the 0 and 4 start even relative to a 2 and 2 start um, starts to build on itself yeah. because you have you have teams, you know, circling like vultures and and now whereas maybe you thought you could do a deal with one first round pick, now teams that are offering players that aren't even necessarily going to help are going to try to ask for two, right? Just because oh, well you you're desperate. You need to do this. We don't need to do this. You need to do this. Right. And that's just the not the type of way that you want to go into a negotiation. But I'll frame it a little bit different and, and get and maybe have Darius uh, weigh in on it because just look at the Western Conference right now and through the, so the top 11 teams currently 
the only one that's under 500 is Dallas uh, at one and two. And I think that we all think that they're you know mostly going to be fine mm-hmm. um, with how Luca is there. There's a couple teams that are going to drop off. That includes San Antonio, right? Who's three and two. That includes Utah. Portland just lost Dame Lillard, maybe only for a game or two, but with a cap strain, I think they're going to drop some. But so they're the rest of those teams though, should be hanging up into that range in which mm-hmm. means playing it. Like the Lakers are already in the range because of losing their first four games where they're, they're going to have to like go on a, 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 win, a big time win streak to get out of the play in type territory. Right. And just extrapolating that out for the rest of the season and LeBron and AD Pete, as you mentioned, have played all four games together. And, and so I just think that the the reality of what the season is going to be based on what this has to be adjusted already uh, based on what this start is and how difficult the league is this year, how difficult it is to even go once you get into the Eastern Conference types ma- type matchups where Orlando is 0-5 and has been ev- in every game, is athletic, mm-hmm. is young, is aggressive. Like there aren't a ton of games out there for this current Lakers team where they're just going to go and, and be able to just expect a win like they did a couple years ago when they go in. So they're clearly there needs to, they need to be getting a lot out of that $47 million slot, whether it's Westbrook somehow turning it around and playing great, um, which, you know, the, what we've seen hasn't supported that that's going to happen, or they're able to somehow get new help in and get new players in. And then that helps properly slot the, the rest of the roster. And then they find cohesion and all that. But, uh, Darius, that's that's to me where I think some of the warning signs are already happening when you just consider what the in our league pass thing that we did yesterday. Yeah. When you just consider how many good teams are out there and and how many of them are are sort of eager to throw everything they have at LeBron and AD, um, who are already doing a lot and in the way that the players around them have, have yet to be able to step up beyond that. So this is a 40 minute conversation, this idea of like a trade versus not a trade and what are the variables in place that are going to determine what you're trying to do from the perspective of optimizing this team and this season and trying to get the most out of this season, they needed to make a deal before the season started. And every day that the season goes on longer, win or lose a single game, win or lose a single game, the Lakers can rattle off four straight wins and go four and four and move up the standings. That does not change the idea of what are you trying to be this season and right. and get to it already. Get <laughs> to it already, right? And so that's the single thing. There's a bigger picture idea, though, about, well, what are we, what can we be this season even by making the change? And if what we can be is lower than the level in which we expect to be as the Los Angeles Lakers, then the calculus starts to come into play about what is important for this season and what you value beyond this season. And then reasonable arguments can be made on both sides. There's a bunch of things that I value beyond this season that have nothing to do with cap space. They have to do with bird rights. They have to do with players under contract. They have to do with The fact that the Lakers actually do have draft picks even beyond the ones that they're considering trading. They have a pick in this upcoming draft. They'll have a pick in either 24 or 25 based off of what choice the Pelicans make, right? They'll have a pick in 26. They'll have a pick in 28. They have second round picks. They have capital. They may not be able to trade that capital because of how their picks are encumbered, but they'll have capital, right? And and so 
what you what the team values and that's that's the 40 minute version of this conversation that we're not going to have now but i've been of the mind pete that's just like like it's like the saying from shawshank right like get busy living or get busy dying <laughs> yep you know what I mean? And are the Lakers getting that that piece of rope in order to tie the bag to their ankle because they're about to climb through the hole mm-hmm. and escape? Or or are they ready to write their name up? Brooks was Brooks here. Brooks was here, yeah. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. and that's the big picture thing to me is get to it already because that's what this is about to me. Do you want to have that 40-minute conversation on tomorrow's pod? maybe maybe let's do it let's do it you've been listening to the laker film room podcast we'll catch you next time james has got it in low to mikhail mikhail wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tip to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it magic fires it's good and the lakers win the game the lakers win the game three seconds left that next to the winner it's on the way A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, score. Miss it. Right. Unbelievable. Go to victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.